This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hello, and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about peas. If you please. And I do please. <laughs> Excellent, because we're talking about it either way. <laughs> so I'm glad that you do please talk about peas. That is a rhyme, FYI, that my dad used to say every time we had peas. And I could never figure out if it was an actual poem or if he just said it because it rhymed. But if you're curious where I get all of my love of bad bad puns and Every, wordplay. Everything's falling into place. That is one one piece of the puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it turns out doing doing peas, I, I had a couple of weird memories associated with them. <laughs> um, one is, have you heard of the English nest? No, I have no idea. You wrote that in the note in the notes and I was like, well, okay. I wonder if anyone else is this just some weird thing that made up in my family? Well, okay. So the English nest, and I'm pretty sure I read a story about it in one of those literature textbooks in high school, so I think it's a thing. It's where you get your mashed potatoes and you make a little indent in them, Uh and then you put the peas in there, and it looks like a bird's nest with eggs in it. Oh. And then you eat it, and it's good. It's an odd but good mixture. Okay. Okay, so... Please write in if that's not just me that did that. It usually came with ham as well, at least in my huh. family. Okay. Um, what did the ham represent? Oh, my goodness. I guess that'd be like a hawk. 
destroying your nest. Oh, wow. Goodness. Or maybe it's just a pig. That just took a dark turn. Okay, well... Yes. There's, there, there is also, of course, the, uh, the fairy tale of the princess and the pea. Yes, which I was one of my favorite stories as a kid. I had a, a pretty um, – I bought it at the book fair and side note, I miss the book fair so much. That was such an exciting day. Right. I think about this all the time. And I mean like we have – I mean I have access to plenty of books. I also have like real money in like bookstores nearby yeah. – <laughs> That I could go to, but like the book fair. It was so exciting. Yeah. Got to get out of class and like go <laughs> look around at books in a little shop sometimes. Um, but I bought The Princess and the Pea at one of my first book fairs. Aww. And it was so beautifully illustrated. It's longer than the the one I found in the public domain because we recently did that uh, food fairy right, tale right. episode. And mm-hmm. I was like, ah, Princess and the Pea. And it was like two paragraphs long. <laughs> The one I have is m- <laughs> not much longer, but it's longer than that, probably, so it would have more pages and they could sell it for more. Well, you know, anyway. I'm sure it had lovely illustrations as well. Did it have lovely illustrations? It did and does. I still have it. It's one of the – there are a couple of books I could not get rid of, like children's books, and that that is one. So maybe I'll bring it in. Yeah. You can take a look. Absolutely. <laughs> but we're getting we're getting away from our first question, so let's return to it. Peas. What are they? Peas are the fruit of a climbing vine, a scientific name, Pisum sativum. The vine flowers and pea pods grow from those flowers, you know, these like long, skinny, uh, yellow or green containers that, that plump up with seeds as the seeds develop. Now, I said that those pods are a fruit, and botanically, they are, uh, but they're more commonly called legumes. And legume is the word for the fruit of a plant in the family Fabaceae. Thanks to listener Kelsey for writing in the last time I mispronounced it a little bit. I was going off of Forvo.com's Latin pronunciation. I don't know. Anyway. Um, but back in the day, the uh, Fabaceae family was called uh, the leguminosi, not the leguminati. Oh, the leguminosi. Sorry, I wanted her so badly to say that. But but hence hence the name legumes. Um, these fruits typically consist of a pod with uh, two long seams, you know, on each side, and the pod contains high protein, high fiber seeds. Some varietals of Pisum sativum have edible pods like saccharatum, uh, snow peas, and macrocarpon or sugar snaps. But today. We're talking mostly about non-edible potted peas. This is the non-edible potted peas podcast. <laughs> it's exactly. rebranding for this episode. <laughs> so, uh, so the seeds develop in these pods, you know, wee green or yellow spheres. And you can either let the whole fruit ripen and then stop growing and dry out on the vine and then shell the dry peas and save them, either to plant later or to cook in liquid so that they rehydrate. Um, these dried peas are sometimes hulled, that is, the, the skin is taken taken off, leaving just the inner bit, which will often split into two halves at that point, and these are split peas. Oh, mm-hmm. I see. Or you can pick the fruit when the seeds are still immature. You shell them and uh, either eat them or cook the peas fresh or freeze them or can them for later. And at this point, they might be called... The garden pea, green peas, English peas, so many names for peas. <laughs> All you can please. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, they're a little sweet, a little savory uh, slash earthy, sort of fresh and grassy, and have a texture 
a little bit like potatoes, like creamy to mealy. Um, speaking of mashed potatoes, yeah, I guess those would go well together. Mm. Right. Uh, the skin of the pea can create a pleasant like burst or snap when you bite into one. Mm-hmm. You can also soak dried peas overnight and then coat them with some kind of flavoring, like a wasabi-flavored rice flour, for example, and then fry them in oil or hot air or roast them, um, which leaves them sort of dehydrated and crispy. Wasabi peas. So good. So good. Mm -hmm. The leaves are also used as a vegetable or herb in parts of Asia and Africa, and they are an annual plant, which means that they die off after a single growing season and further crops need to be replanted from seed. Uh, They also, like many other legumes, have this amazing and fascinating symbiotic relationship with bacteria that live in the soil around their roots. All right, here's the gig. These bacteria need sugars produced by photosynthesis to live, but the bacteria themselves cannot photosynthesize. So they form colonies, these, these little nodules on the pea's roots. Meanwhile, the pea plants need nitrogen to create chlorophyll and a bunch of other important stuff like, like uh, various proteins, but they can't use free-ranging nitrogen in the air. They can't absorb it, even though it's one of the most abundant elements in our atmosphere. So in turn... The bacteria breathe in nitrogen from the air um, and process that nitrogen into ammonia, which plants can use. This process is called nitrogen fixation. And uh, peas and other legumes, along with their little bacteria buddies, fix so much nitrogen in the soil that there's a surplus even after the peas' growing season is over. They leave the land better than they found it. Oh. Yeah. So for this reason, legumes are a popular crop to plant in rotation with other crops that deplete the soil. Um, and gardeners can use peas like alongside other vegetables to uh, reduce or ideally eliminate the need to fertilize. Way to go, peas. Yeah. Good for the earth. But are they good for you? Yeah. We're talking nutrition. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> peas have a decent amount of protein, p- potassium, iron, calcium, amino acids, and complex carbs. They're a low-fat, low-sodium food, and they show up in all kinds of things, some healthier than others. Pasta, soups, the notorious pea soup. Oh, I love a split pea soup. Oh, do you? Yeah. I don't think I've ever had one outside of once when I was a kid, and I the exorcist is the only thing I can envision. <laughs> um, they show up frequently in fried rice. There's pea flour and pea protein, just to name a few. And these days, there's also pea milk. Oh, yeah. And pea yogurt on the market for folks who want their dairy alternatives to be soy and nut-free. Personally, I think that pea yogurt tastes not good. Oh, I have not had it. It's one of the very few foods that I've ever been like, mm, nope, not this one. <laughs> Why? What was it? What was the taste like? Oh, it was just sort of... Oh, the face you're making is not good. It was sort of planty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was sort of like I was eating like a salad yogurt or like a – but like – Oh, that's that's not, what Google thinks of women right there. Not in a <laughs> – Salad plus yogurt. But not in a nice way. I was not a woman laughing alone with salad yogurt. Well, who is though? I don't know. My salads are frequently hilarious. <laughs> Good. That makes me happy. <laughs> Most of the time I'm just kind of like, this is okay. <laughs> I was I was joking, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, (laughs) uh, uh, Back to peas. Frozen peas, I will say, are just as nutritious as fresh peas. And they are the most common frozen vegetable in the United States. Yeah. uh, Like frozen peas are popular here to the point that it's really hard to find fresh peas outside of like farmer's markets or your own garden. Yes. Bon Appetit. 
ran a headline in 2017, PSA, frozen peas are actually better than fresh. (gasps) Bold words, I know. Yeah. The article was touting frozen peas' convenience and quality and ability to be cooked into dishes without being thawed first. Um, And and to be fair, uh, peas that are frozen are like a couple hours out of the field when they are frozen. And they're, um, they're sorted using this fun saltwater process, um, like, a, like a really specific gravity of saltwater to make sure that, that only the, the younger, more tender, less starchy ones make it into packaging. Um, the tender ones float to the top, the starchy ones sink in this specific saltwater solution. Um, and there's no such guarantee on peas that you shell yourself, folks. I'll have to tell my mom that because if you remember in our frozen food episode, every summer we buy so many peas at the farmer's market here in Atlanta, the one off of 75 Uh South for you, Uh Lauren. Everyone else is like, oh. It's a really big (laughs) farmer's market. And we blanch them and we freeze them. And the blanching hurts. It hurts because your hands are hot and then they're cold. And then you do it again until we usually get 20, like, freezer-sized bags of peas, and we put them in this locked chest freezer, and I never see them, you know, because I don't live at home anymore. So I'm putting all this work into it. Why doesn't she give you some to take home? I think I'd probably say no. I'm like, I'd never want to see peas again. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, a week later, I'm over it, and I'm thinking, wow, I really wish I had some of those fresh peas. They do usually turn out very well, very delicious. I believe you. Fresh crispy. Well, yeah. crunchy is how I like them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, on, a, on an industrial level, uh, the sheer volume involved in creating frozen peas within hours of the crops being picked means that farmers have to stagger their plantings and their pickings so that the freezing facility they're working with will have the capacity to take their harvest when the peas are ripe enough. It's this whole like labyrinthian schedule. It's fascinating. I Yeah, I would love to just to observe for a little bit. Oh. Maybe that would put my struggles in perspective. Oh. My one day of struggle <laughs> a year <laughs> with peas. I, I maintain there has to be some better way than plunging your hands into hot peas and ice. My mom does it like, like a pro. Spoons, perhaps? <laughs> that have, probably is a really easy have solution. Have you heard of slotted spoons? Slotted spoons, you say? I do say. Oh, man. I'm going to have to think about this. Let's look at some numbers. Yes, let's look at some numbers. Somewhere around 12 to 17.4 million tons of peas are produced a year. And I was I was trying to dig into this number, and I, I couldn't – I'm not sure if that's just dried peas. Ooh. I think it might be just dried peas. That's wild. Because I because I kept seeing like like about twelve million tons of dried peas every year, and I and there's there's hypothetically a lot of fresh frozen peas. It, from what we've been discussing, it seems logical. I think that there could be at least at anyway. There's a lot of peas. There's a lot of peas, and Mordor Intelligence for once failed me oh. on the fresh pea thing. They're busy trying to capture hobbits. Um, We can't blame them for that. Oh, it's not my fault that someone named a company that. Anyway. They're native to North Africa and Asia, and you can still find wild peas in parts of Iran, Ethiopia, and Afghanistan. Canada was the largest producer in 2000, though, with China, Russia, and France following its lead. 
And this is another food that's eaten all over in all kinds of different ways. In parts of Asia, dried peas are a popular snack. And um, addition to stir fries, that's a pretty popular choice. Mushy peas in England, mm-hmm. usually with your, your fish and chips, perhaps? Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, note, however, that we are... Mostly not talking about American southern field peas, like black-eyed peas and other black, brown, cream, red-type peas, which are more like beans and tend to taste more earthy. At, a lot of things are called peas, y'all. They really are. Which, um, which is a good segue to our <laughs> history segment, but a bad segue to an ad. But first, we're going to take you on that ad break. Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit TomboyX.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure... It kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. 
Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, yes, some of the history gets a little murky because there are three main types of peas that sometimes get confused for each other when we're talking about history. Peas were one of the first domesticated plants around 8,000 years ago, most likely in the Middle East or South or Central Asia. They are one of the eight founder crops or eight of the earliest domesticated crops ever. From there, the pea soon appeared in China and India, if that's not where it originated in the first place. Oh, history. Um, (laughs) If we're talking pre-domestication, some evidence suggests the Neanderthals were eating peas 46,000 years ago. Oh. Might not be the same pea, though. I would say probably not the same pea. Probably not. Um, Other evidence suggests that two types of peas were each domesticated from a now extinct ancestor about 11,000 years ago in the Near East. The first known evidence of purposeful pea cultivation is out of Syria 9,300 years ago. Those domesticating the pea did so selectively, attempting to get to a softer-shelled, wet-season-ready crop. Ancient Greeks, Egyptians, Romans all enjoyed peas in their cuisine. The Apicius, that really old cookbook recipe book, had nine recipes that utilized dried peas. Pea soup was a common to-go item sold by street vendors in ancient Athens, which I find very curious indeed. One story goes that after Romans encountered it, they named it Pisum, and that is where the name comes from. But about that name? Okay, so originally, uh-huh. Peas, as in P-E-A-S-E, was the name for a single P until the late 17th century when it became known as the plural. So people seeing this peas thought that that was the plural of... Oh, it would say it out loud and say peas, and then from there you get the singular P. Yes. Ah. So it was kind of a big misunderstanding. <laughs> oh, but people were saying peases? Peases, yeah. That's great. I know. Let's go back to that. We can try it. Perfect. But you can still see peas um, in the rhyme peas porridge hot, which I don't know, but apparently is a lasting rhyme. Peas porridge hot, peas porridge cold, peas porridge in a pot nine days old. Look at you, Lauren. Font. You really are. (laughs) Always surprising me with these rhymes about peas and other things. Um, Peas uh, itself is possibly way, way older pre-Indo-European, maybe even Aegean. Wow. I went on a hunt to prove that Peas was related to Pisa, as in Leaning Tower of, but no dice. Oh, I'm sorry. But Pisa is in its family tree, like a word family tree. I'm really bummed about it. But you can't always get what you want. You can't. <laughs> it's good, good life advice, Annie. <laughs> the Rolling Stones taught me that. <laughs> Peas reached China in 7th century CE, possibly called foreign legume. Peas at this time may be eaten fresh, but were commonly dried. Um, Dried peas were a big-time winter food. These peas were more closely resembled to chickpeas, though. 
Charlemagne had peas planted in his gardens in 800 CE France, and at the same time, peas were a popular staple for peasants, which I also went on a word hunt to see if that, if peasants and peas. peas was related, and it's not, or at least I didn't find any evidence that it was. Uh, well, they stored well, and they kept for a long time, so they were a good peasant food. And green peas for Lent were stored in the Barking Nunnery in 12th century London. A century later in France, fresh peas in the pod was a popular street food item. Um, They would go on to become a go-to food for Lent in France and England. Sure. Full of protein, you know. Yeah. You meat. And I think for back when we had big family dinners when I was younger um, on Easter, I believe we had peas. It's a pretty popular spring. Fresh peas are a good spring spring thing. They are, yeah. A little bit of mint and lemon, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In 16th century Italy, gardeners cultivated a smaller, tender pea called Pizzelli Novelli. People loved these things. It was the fashion, the fashion <laughs> to eat unripe peas. Uh, well, by, by unripe, just like, yeah, like, like immature yeah. green peas. Because previously, most of them had been eaten dried. Yeah, and... All the way up until the 17th century, people were sort of head over heels in love with these things. Um, A female friend of the Sun King, Louis XIV, had this to say about fresh peas, which could be wildly expensive, by the way. Um, This subject of peas continues to absorb all others. Some ladies, even after having supped at the royal table, and well supped too, returning to their homes at the risk of suffering from indigestion, will again eat peas before going to bed. It is both a fashion and a madness. (laughs) I mean... I mean, they're good. They are good. I mean, they're real good. They are. They have such an interesting texture thing going on. Yeah, it's that pop and then the kind of creamy thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of my favorite dishes that I had in England. Mm. Just, again, like peas, a little bit of lemon, a little bit of mint. They were just so green. They are very bright. They were just so, I I felt like they tasted like the land and the air. Oh, now I'm going to have to get peas. Every episode this happens. (laughs) Every episode, almost. Um, And I have a, a slight aside because... Doing this episode, the main reason I wanted to do it was mostly because of genetics. We'll get into that more later. But I did – a lot of these memories got jumbled around in my head. Did you ever play – well, wait a minute. Did you take uh, – what language did you take? Uh, Spanish. Spanish. Okay, so you didn't play this game. No. Anyone who took French, please write in if you remember playing the game, the Sun King game, where you were wandering around his court and trying to please people. Like, it was a computer game that we'd play in French class to learn French. Huh. And I just totally (laughs) forgot about it. I remember it being incredibly frustrating. You could never figure out what they wanted, which might have been the lesson. Oh. Wow. That's a little bit existential for, what, like middle school? But (laughs) sure. All right. Well, speaking of fashion, (laughs) that trendsetter, Catherine de' Medici, introduced peas to France during the 1500s, and the French named them tiny peas, petit pois. Due to the popularity of peas in France, some towns were named after recipes associated with their town that incorporated peas. Street vendors in England advertised their hot gray peas with a suck of bacon around this time as well. 
Um, new varieties developed in England around this time were known as garden peas and English peas. Huh. Yeah. So that that's some Europe for you. Europe really digging into this dish of peas. But we do have some some new world stuff. Uh-huh. But first, we have one last quick break for a word from our sponsor. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit tomboyx.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. The Colonist... 
brought peas with them to the new world, in quotes. Um, they kept well and were good for voyages, so kind of an obvious choice to take with you. Settlers in Canada's New France bought with them pea soup. If you remember at the beginning, we said top grower was Canada and France was in the top five. Yeah. I find that really kind of There's interesting. There's a pea and legacy. There is a pea legacy. Um, and once again, it's time to talk about someone else with a legacy, Thomas Jefferson. Oh. Mm-hmm. He and his neighbors engaged in a battle of the peas to see who could grow them in their garden first. And Thomas Jefferson came out in front. Uh, hopping back over to Europe. In the 1790s, peas appeared in their first genetic study, one led by Thomas Andrew Knight. Uh, yeah, and of, of course genetics weren't – I mean it's technically what he was studying, but right. he didn't know it at the time. But he was working with different colored peas and observing how cross-fertilizing them could affect the color of future generations. Mm-hmm. France's 1800s encyclopedia, The Vegetable Garden, included 50 pages on different types of peas. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And then <laughs> along comes one Gregor Mendel in the 1860s. Mendel was an Austrian monk who realized that some pea traits were more dominant than others. He carried out a series of experiments that were the precursor to the laws of genetic inheritance. While he died pretty much as an unknown, his research came back into the scientific zeitgeist in the 1900s, and his contributions to genetics was recognized. Yeah, um, he's currently called like like the father of genetics in some circles. Mm -hmm. um, and Mendel was using pea plants because they're they're inexpensive, they're easy to grow and keep track of, easier even than mice and honeybees, which is what he started with. Um, part of why his work didn't catch on during the time was that the the prevailing theory was that offspring are blend of their parents' traits. You know, like if you've got a tall mom and a short dad, you'll be of medium height. Um, so therefore, what Mendel was saying, you know, that two tall parents can, produ can produce a short offspring because the short trait may have been inherited, just recessive. Right. Um, it, it, was, it was unintuitive to people at the time, especially because humans are more genetically complicated than pea plants, but no one knew about genes yet, so it seemed really easily dismissed. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, his, his concepts of receiving a random assortment of traits from each parent, half of the traits that they had each inherited from their parents, um, would become the basis of chromosomal heredity in the early 1900s. The humble pea. The humble pea. The Campbell Company, yes, that Campbell Company, chose peas as one of the first things to can in 1870. As mentioned in our frozen foods episode, they were also some of the first vegetables to be frozen around the 1920s. And speaking of frozen peas, yes, uh, there is this absolutely bizarre and delightful moment in relatively recent history in which famed actor, writer, and director Orson Welles absolutely pitched a fit while attempting to re to record a few commercials, um, one being for frozen peas. Another one was for cod fish fingers, and I can't believe I forgot that when we were doing our cod episode. <laughs> oh, anyway, um, this this fit he pitched. Um, this was this was after he reportedly made the recording crew chase him all over Europe, like like at least five locations around Europe, um, as sort of revenge for them requesting an audition. How, How dare, dare they? they? <laughs> um, this happened around 1970, so he was he was 
already quite famous and and really infamous also for being pretty persnickety um, and in, and had taken to doing ads to help pay for his pet projects. Um, and I and I I think we can roll a little bit of of this here because oh it's that's gold. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. Do you really mean that? I, yeah, so in other words, I'd, I'd start half a second late. Don't you think you really want to say July over the snow? Isn't that the fun of it? It's, it if, you go, if you make it almost when that shot disappears, it'll make my... I think it's so nice that, that you see a snow-covered field and say every July, peas grow there. We know a remote farm in Lincolnshire where Mrs. Buckley lives. Every July, peas grow there. We aren't even in the fields, you see. Yeah, we are. We're talking about them growing, and she's picked them. Yeah. <clears throat> On what? On, in July. I don't understand you, then. When must, what must be over for July? Um, when we get out of that snowy field. When I was out, we were onto a can of peas, a big dish of peas, when I said in July. That's just idiotic, yeah, if you'll forgive me by saying so. That's just stupid. In July. I'd love to know how you emphasize in and in July. We just, we just actually played a little bit of it in the studio here. Uh, Annie, do you have any thoughts, feelings, reactions? I love how his his tone stays very, like, even the whole, the whole time. It sounds reasonable, but what he's saying is... Super unreasonable. Super unreasonable. And I, I told Lauren, I don't know what part we played, but I'm determined to say, you don't know what I'm up against. In a, like, straight voice yeah. in regular conversation. Yeah. Maybe by the end of the day. I think you can. I, I have faith in I you. I can. I think I can. Yeah. I get um, calls from Orson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, if, if, um, if that sounds familiar to anyone um, who has never actually listened to, to that Orson Welles clip um, – but who was perhaps watching Animaniacs or The Critic back in the 1990s, that's because uh, Maurice LaMarche, whose Wells impersonation is super on point and mm-hmm. what I would say the brain character is based on, um, he did it pretty much verbatim in Pinky and the Brain, except he, like, put in family-friendly phrasing for a few things. Um, and he also uh, parodied it in The Critic. So, yeah, you, you can you can look up the full audio under the names Yes Always or or Frozen Peas. If you just want a real good giggle, I recommend yeah. it. Now that you pointed out, um, yes, the brain, so much, very much. Um, oh, that show scared me as a kid. Yeah? I wonder. And I could never put my finger on why. Huh. It just really unsettled me. It, it did, but in a way that I liked. Then again, I'm like... I. I, I was a little bit older than you at the time, so I might have. Yeah, I should I should revisit it and see if I can figure out <laughs> what it was that put me so on edge about that show. <laughs> Maybe it was the Orson Welles impression. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the story of frozen peas and peas in general. Yes, um, kind of a a random. <laughs> I just suddenly really wanted to talk about peas. So I uh, hope that uh, it was enjoyable, enjoyable for you out there. And it brings us to listener <laughs> mail. I, that was, I love that sound you made. That was good. I should have done a pinky in the brain kind of send off. But Oh, it's okay. 
Maybe next time. I couldn't have done it anyway. I still am working on my William Shatner, so very slow when it comes to mastering impressions. That's that's okay. Take your time. These Thank thing, you. These things are important. Thank you. Our first letter is from Alicia, who wrote, I just listened to your Butter episode and the episode that had a follow-up from someone talking about the Minnesota State Fair. I have a friend whose sister and cousin have both been in the Princess K of the Milky Way court and have had both their heads carved out of butter. My favorite account is one of our friends meeting her sister and asking, aren't you the butter princess? And her reply was, yep, my face is still in the freezer if you want to see it. (laughs) That is a great quote. Butter carving is alive and well in that part of the country. That's beautiful. It is. I want to see some butter carving in action one day. Yeah. We'll have to go. Yeah, to our ever-growing list of places. <laughs> <laughs> Steffi wrote in about our foodstuffs in movies episode, saying, Halloween is my favorite holiday, and it gave me great ideas for this year's costume. However, at the end of your interview with V, I have a solution to your glass problem, or at least partially, glass candy. If you make glass candy without food dye, you can easily make a small sheet of candy, smash it with a mallet or hammer, it's my favorite part, and instantly you can make it look like someone has glass sticking out of them. Glass candy is super easy to make. It only takes water, corn syrup, sugar, and I recommend a candy thermometer to make it easier. Me too. Also, I'm on a roller derby team. Heck yeah. Uh, Shout out to River City Renegades out in Mackinac City, Michigan, and we occasionally travel to Salt St. Marie, Canada. Uh, We have some teammates who travel from here. So we stop at fast food places sometimes in relation to your McDonald's episode. And I can tell you this. You can find poutine, it's fries with gravy and cheese curds, almost anywhere in Canada, including McDonald's. However, KFC there doesn't have biscuits. What? I know it doesn't sound like much, but we were very surprised. Oh, we are, obviously. (laughs) We clearly, I'm, okay, I'm pulling myself back together. Oh, and you can find... Tim Hortons everywhere. Anyway, just wanted to share. Well? I've never been to a Tim Hortons. Oh, I have. <laughs> Very good. Yeah? It's it's kind of funny because you go to Canada and you think, I've got to go. Is it Timmy Ho-Ho's? Something. Anyway, um, and uh, every time I've been to an airport in Canada, which is like five or six times, mm-hmm. um, there is always a massive line huh. to Tim Hortons. No matter what time it is, no matter if, like, the line is, to me, long enough to make me reconsider my choice if there's other places that are open. Nope. Always a really long line. And there's, like, three lines. So there's, like, I just want coffee line. Mm -hmm. There's regular ordering line. And then there's, like, I know exactly what I want, and it's those donut holes <laughs> and one coffee. I don't need to think about anything. And it's all three are long. Wow. Um, this has just been my experience, perhaps. Um, Cultural standpoint. I mean, you know. Sure. It is, yeah. It's lovely. It's delicious. Um, and thank you for the hint about uh, glass candy. If we ever get around to making our food stuff horror short film, <laughs> uh, we will keep that in mind. Yes, Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, thanks to both of them for writing in. If you would like to write to us, our email is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at foodstuffhsw, also on Instagram at foodstuff. We do hope to hear from you. Um, Thank you, as always, to our super producer, Dylan Fagan, who is just a gem. He's just a gem. 
Thanks to you for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Give me a woo. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.